Hello and welcome to the Money Marketing Podcast. I'm Kimberly Dondo and today we'll be discussing um, the autumn statement, uh, which just happened this week. Um, so I'm joined by the rest of the editorial team and I'll let them introduce themselves. Yeah, I'm Tom Brown. I'm editor of Money Marketing. And I'm Denise Smith, feature writer. Dan Cooper, news editor. Darius McQuaid, reporter. And Lois Fallerly, chief reporter. Thank you guys for joining me. Um, so as I said, yeah, the autumn statement did happen this week. And I think just off the top, I just wanted to find out um, what the initial reaction was from the industry. Was it a positive one? Was it um, a negative re reaction? Or was it just, I don't know, um, I. I put a tweet up in the morning. It was actually sarcastic, but maybe it didn't come across as sarcastic through writing, saying, is everyone excited? And all the advisors were responding, going, no, no, definitely not excited. So there was that. I think it was a bit. I think the thing with the autumn statement is most things are leaked in the national media like a week before it. So there were probably no huge surprises in there. I did mm -hmm. think I did get a specific I just but I'm, I'm sure everyone else did as well got absolutely inundated with reaction comments probably mm -hmm. like approaching 300 but <laughs> one stood out today was um from Investec saying and it was specifically um a com comment about the advice profession and how um so their head of strategic partnership Simon Taylor thinks that the autumn statement is going to boost demand for advice um, but he also says that the profession is under strain and it's getting worse. So he said it's going to boost demand for advice because people are very unsure about the whole lifetime allowance thing, whether it's even there or not, when it's going to not be there anymore, what that mm -hmm. even means for them. There's a lot of, um, this is what he said. I mean, I kind of don't know it myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, a lot of things about, you know, how complicated tax has got and how people, some people who are in the lower tax bracket don't even realise they need to complete a tax return, things like that. Um, but at the same time, according to Investec, 50% of um, advisors are planning to retire in the next five years. And that is a stat that I've heard sort of similar iterations yeah. of throughout. So um, the whole profession is sort of under strain to get... He, he says that it should be a golden era for advice firms, but at the moment, demand is exceeding supply because there just mm -hmm. aren't enough advisors and it's only going to get worse because all these advisors are going to retire in the next five years. And then maybe there aren't enough coming through to fill the gap. So that was yeah. an interesting reaction, I think, a bit different to the autumn statement because everything else was about just generally pensions or inheritance tax, things like that. Yeah, I just picking up on that. I certainly got a vibe of of that kind of reaction in terms of the lack of movement on income tax thresholds and the fact that a lot more people will be dragged into tax bans as a result of fiscal drag, and whether or not that is just going to lead to a lot more people not being able to access the right advice or just not knowing that they they need to be advised at all, uh, which mm. I thought was quite interesting. I think that was a, a point that was also being made by that same person. Mm. Tom, we do this thing where we try not to use the word interesting, because I personally overuse it, and I think the whole team does. So last oh, time, I she said that. this thing, but she only just started this. <laughs> I only started it last time. 
last All right, months. well, I've used up my quota of interestings for this. Yeah. I'm going to use fascinating next I'm going to call you all out. And if <laughs> I do it, you have to call me out too. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Intriguing. We, we will, don't worry. Reading that riveting. was some enlightening points that you made there, Lois and Tom. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, um, Tom, I want to go back to you and ask what stood out for you uh, with what the Chancellor laid out for his plan in the autumn well, statement. Well, the big headline figure, obviously, was the uh, cut in the standard rate of employee national insurance, which went down from 12 to 10 percent. I mean, that was obviously predicted beforehand. But uh, mm-hmm. the two surprises mainly were that, first of all, that it was a two um, percent cut rather than a one percent cut and that it will come into force on the 6th of January rather than at the start of the tax year with the chance yeah. saying that they bring in urgent legislation to have um make that happen i thought it it was it was interesting because i mean oh. obviously <laughs> sorry <laughs> it was it's riveting really because slow it, down. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was noteworthy because i mean obviously national insurance is, is focused specifically on income from work so a national insurance car can be presented as an incentive and, and a reward to workers uh according to the chancellor it will if you're a person on an average salary of about 35 grand they'll they'll save over 450 a year so that's quite significant uh from the point of view of financial advice though obviously you don't pay national insurance on private pension income or after the state pension age so most retirees won't benefit from it but actually on my story on this i quote sean Steele, who's a head of tax at evelyn partners who, who makes the point that retirees don't benefit from the the fact that retirees don't benefit from the cut could deflect some of the criticism from the perceived intergenerational unfairness quote unquote of the of leaving the pensions triple lock unchanged which i'm sure we'll we'll come back to um in terms of the overall numbers we were hearing that the national insurance cut could um, cost the treasury about nine billion a year but that is certainly cheaper for the treasury than making any move on cutting income tax or changing the income tax thresholds which is obviously as i mentioned the other dog that didn't bark in the autumn statement Mm -hmm. i did see a tweet reaction from an advisor just saying um it was quite cynical and they were like oh i wonder if there's a general election happening next year after that (laughs) um particular announcement i don't Um, you wouldn't know you certainly wouldn't know that surely mm. Are you suggesting there may be political considerations in some of the Northern states? I mean, that's what they were suggesting. (laughs) I have no opinion on it. I am just on a fence, just sitting here watching everything unfold. Very diplomatic. Uh, Well done. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, What about you, Darius? Uh, What stood out for you um, that the Chancellor announced yesterday? Um, I would say it's probably um, uh, his... We didn't actually announce it when when he's up in the dispatch box, but uh, the, the changes he's made to ISIS probably stood mm-hmm. out for me. Um, it was was that um, one of the lists that he didn't actually say out. Yeah, it, and... yeah, it was one hundred and ten. Yeah, it um, mm-hmm. it was yeah one of the changes implemented, but he didn't actually get any uh, uh, voice time, as it were. Um, mm-hmm. and, and in general, the sort of um, the change he made to ISIS was. Um, sort of, you, you know, and not a lot of negative reaction to it, but people wanted the general consensus that people wanted a bit, uh, him to go a bit more further. Um, so that's where sort of uh, the, the disappointment came from. But he, he said people would be able to make uh, multiple ISA subscriptions of the same time from same type from April 2024. Um, and yeah, like I said, most people are happy about this, and uh, they'll be able to hold more. Uh, 
than one particular item that's tax year, and so you know, it will help uh, uh, savings and it make it easier for people to save. Um, but um, like in AJ Bell particular, they've been sort of um, um, uh, campaigning to uh, sort of they think the ice the ice. Uh, market is too complicated to get six types of ISAs and they want to sort of consolidate it into one type of ISA and mm-hmm. uh and, and you know that that obviously didn't happen. Um and and they've actually done research into it and they've they found that you know um uh, a majority of advisors uh think it's become unnecessarily complicated and they would actually back an idea of a of a single ISA as well. So um yeah that <clears throat> like I said look, you know um they were happy that he's made this change, but um, wanted to go further. Uh, but also, he did. Hunt also moved um, uh, the chance to move the uh, the age, which can uh, apply for cash ISA from uh, 16 to 18, uh, and also he he's included long-term asset funds and open-ended property funds in the innovative finance ISA, which just makes mm-hmm. it one of the six ISAs. Um, and again, that had quite a, a bit of a split reaction. The quilt was quite happy about it. Again, AJ Bell wasn't as happy about it. I, I would just say when it comes to open-ended property funds in October, three open-ended uh, property funds were either closed or suspended. So it sort of comes at a, um, a, 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 a an odd time to suddenly include uh, that those particular types of funds in one of the, the ISAs because it's just uh, off the hills of some uh, negative news surrounding the area so um yeah i i um thought that was sort of um odd timing for it but also the the british ice of bryce that everyone was sort of uh, talking about got a lot of news attention that wasn't announced and there's no new type of ice uh, uh created so yeah that that didn't happen so that um People who supported that obviously weren't uh, too happy about it, but yeah, I, th- I think there was, there was there's no necessarily re- uh, negative reaction to the ISA tweak, but people, I think, there's a hunger for for more to to happen in that um, environment. So they were underwhelmed. Underwhelmed would be uh, a, a good quote. Yeah, I think there was a really um, it was a really good uh, AJ Bell quote. I thought um, that. Uh, uh, Asia Bell head of the Tom policy, Tom Selby, said that the ISA move was sensible but hardly enough shattering change. And I thought that mm-hmm. sort of yeah, summed up the the market quite well, really. Like, yeah, it was um, it wasn't uh, it it wasn't big, big, as it were. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe that will be something we can look at when the budget happens next year. Um, but Amanda, what of what about you? What stood out for you in the autumn statement? Um, probably something a little bit different to everyone else. I, I, what stood out for me, I was looking at the focus on helping people who have health conditions and disabilities find mm-hmm. jobs. Because I think that, that made sort of part of the speech. I was listening to that at home. Yeah. Um, I've got mixed opinions on this because I've just written a piece on um, for our next issue. The um, is it uh, December January? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just written a piece about how um, you know. The industry can help um, advisors, um, so new advisors who have health conditions, kind of you know become advisors, get into the industry, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, I love the idea of you know if if you're disabled and have health conditions that you know you don't have to be sitting at home claiming benefits. But the reality is, you know that that is you know an issue for some people. You know they've mm-hmm. they've got you know to find a job that suits them. It's not just oh you know stick them in any job. So I'm kind of a little bit worried about what was announced later, the sort of punitive. Side 
side of it. You know, if you yeah. don't find work in six, you know, look for a job within six months or find a position, then there's going to be, you know, mandated stuff, you know, and benefits potentially stopped. I just think, you know, stand back a bit, like have a heart. These people are, you know, if you're on benefits and, you know, disabled, it's not a picnic, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's a way of life that struggle, you know, if you've got disability, you might need more to run your home. You've got health issues, you might need more heating, you know, da da So, yeah. you know, I, I just I just sort of sat there thinking, is that the best we can do? I, I like the, you know, the initial bit, but I'm worried about the detail and how it's going to be implemented. And will we be sort of, you know, hounding disabled people, you know, oh, you must work. You know, work is a great thing. I'm not kind of arguing with that. You know, you can have like a bit of confidence and a bit of extra money in their pocket. And I know they're allowed to keep a certain amount. I think it's £404 a month off the top of my head that they're going to be allowed to keep if they sort of, you know, work, trial work and sort of keep the benefits. But I am just a little bit concerned. I think, Kim, the only sort of plus side, uh, sort of, you know, concrete plus side at the moment, I think, is um, could yeah. it boost protection? Because, you know, if, if you're, you know, worried about being, you know, disabled or have a health condition in the future, are you going to be sitting there saying, oh, well, this is going to be reformed, you know, and the benefit system's a bit of a mess anyway, maybe mm-hmm. rather than take my chances there, is it worth getting a protection policy? So I've kind of got a bit of security if... I become disabled but I don't know I think it's a bit of a mess or you know it, it is it of, is quite complicated know. but then when you talked about protection there I I was like yes that is a fair point it could boost people getting you know critical illness or any of those other policies that are important that most people don't think about until they're out of work but then it also made me think about uh Mamadou's piece where he covered a person who has long covid um which um, a lot of uh, protection companies aren't necessarily deeming as an illness as of yet because exactly. it hasn't been yeah. a long enough yeah. period of time. So there, to me, that means that there will be a number of people, potentially millions of people that could fall through the cracks because um, they can't go back to work because they have this chronic condition that flares up sometimes, which... Um, stops them from being able to go to work um but then they also can't have that protection that would protect their income or whatever Mm. um it's a really complicated area because there's so many different types of disabilities some invisible some very visible Mm -hmm. probably stopping people from doing all sorts of different kinds of jobs so yeah, it's definitely a concern. And it's not until exactly. you have someone in your life with one of those conditions that you actually see it and you go, oh, this person isn't just lazy and mm-hmm. wanting not to work. They want to mm-hmm. because the worst thing in the world is actually being stuck at home. It's not fun mm-hmm. um, and it's, not having any money. That's the thing that's... Yeah, that's what I didn't like, though, the fact that, oh, you know, you're disabled, you're lazy, you just don't want to work. I think that's coming back, and I don't like that because I know disabled people and they do want to work. Some are doing voluntary work, so it's not a case of, oh, you know, I I just sort of fancy seeing at home like I can just sort of say, oh, I'm disabled. It's not that at all. It's, yeah, I just think, you know, do the, do these people actually know any disabled people? So, mm. yeah, I yeah, don't know. We'll see what happens, I think. 
I didn't particularly like the way it was presented as a kind of like we're we're really giving people the opportunity to come back into work. It was presented as a sort of like a, a generous gesture by the government about you know well, yeah. all these all this <laughs> unlocked potential that we're now going to give you the opportunity to unlock. Whereas I kind of think where where the rubber hits the road, road in fact, it's going to lead with a lot of people effectively having to prove to the government actually I, I'm I'm not able to work and these are the reasons and a far more kind of harsh environment in which they have to prove that I suspect mm. is how it will yeah, work out yeah. in practice yeah. rather than a lot of people you know grateful people saying well this is wonderful yeah, I've been given so the much. chance to work again so, yeah. <laughs> I, I think you a, gave me a job that's perfect for me a distinct and also yeah. Thinking about the fact that they have, they also mentioned the fact that there's a massive backlog in terms of um, like with NHS and getting your doctor's appointments when you need to. So if you then need to prove as to why you can't return to work, but your doctor's like, I can't see you until two, like in two months time, then what happens during that time mm. period? Mm. I think that was point made that point was made by a lot of the disabled charities. They're not happy about this. They they kind of like the principle, but yeah, the detail that I think like me a bit concerned. Mm. But, yeah. Um okay, thanks. Great, Amanda. Um Dan, so yes. what did you think about the autumn statement? What stood out for you? I think uh, a couple of things really. Uh, obviously pensions were kind of uh, center stage as we as we kind of expected beforehand. <laughs> Um, and there was obviously a lot of talk around the uh, consultation on the sort of the one pension pot for life. Yeah. And um, they're saying that, you know, on average now, people generally have around about 11 jobs in a lifetime. Um, and so there's this issue of, you know, sort of multiple pensions and kind of lost pension pots. So the the idea is to to kind of bring it all under one umbrella and just have one one pension pot from which you can withdraw from, which, um, you know, is 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 way to simplify the system so that that was quite interesting um all the all the stuff around that um you know announcing the reforms to allow savers to choose their own pension scheme uh, for yeah. automatic for automatic enrollment um, but how and how work for the employer? i know and who's like that not who's that's, that's the issue. in charge of it yeah that's, that's it? The... so like the hr department is going to be like okay this mm. person is at jp morgan this person's at nest <laughs> like how is that and are they responsible for, you know, if if um, the consumer or client makes a bad decision about where to put their pension? Mm. Yeah. Good question. No, that's what the questions. That's what the and critics, also, you know, the scheme is saying is that, yeah, like like you said, it's also, going to be difficult to police manage. It just feels really weird that they mm. they introduce this before, but they've been talking about the pen, pensions dashboard. Yeah. Forever, like, wouldn't it yeah. just be better for them to bring? Maybe they should just focus on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, focus on the pensions dashboard, which was meant to fix all of these issues. About... And was meant to have come in this year or Year. next year? years ago. But ago. Yeah, this year, this year it was meant. <laughs> the to most come recent in. thing was this year, and now it's like twenty twenty six or something. Yeah, I bet it won't. Yeah, weird. But Darius, what was your stat you had from? Was it pension B? Uh, it was yeah from pension b it was um yeah following the uh pot for life announcement it was uh 76 uh, percent of pension savers expressed they would consider opting for the new model uh a pot for life so th there is the immediate reaction is that there you know, seems to be um you know <clears throat> some uh want to hunger for it but yeah obviously the the questions you asked are sort of 
questions that actually arise when uh, when other yeah we, well, yeah well, yeah well yeah from that server yeah it would be I think for the consumer, like it makes sense and it's fine, but I'm just thinking the admin side of it for the the employer of each and person. the providers, yeah, and the providers. Mm, um, well, we'll see how it pans out. Um, and finally, Lois, I know that you weighed in on the triple lock, so do you want to tell us a bit more? Just first, Dan, did you say everything you wanted to? Sorry. Uh, yeah, I mean it, that kind of led on nicely. I think mean, two, two other things I was I was going to mention was the um, sort that stood out for me was the inheritance tax remaining untouched. Um, there was mm-hmm. again kind of the um, rumours in a you know two, a couple of days beforehand this it might be the case, and obviously he uh, Chancellor sort of left it untouched in in favour of uh, other cuts of national insurance and uh, and so on. So. Um, yeah, it's just uh, it's kind of the industry reaction is is mixed on that one, really. And, um, you know, some see it as, well, it's, it's hardly a surprise because uh, his inheritance tax a report came out last week, I think, um, you know, saying that the Treasury stands to make $7.8 billion in, in, in IHT receipts in 23-24. Mm-hmm. And I think that figure is going to go up to an estimated like $9.8 billion, um by 28-29. So obviously it's a big money spinner for the Treasury. Um, so that, I guess it's, that's one reason why perhaps he didn't touch it. And the other one being that it, it affects a, a much smaller number of people than, um, say, income tax or national insurance. So at a time of, you know, we're, we're in the cost of living crisis and uh, is that going to look good? Cut, cutting a tax that generally is perceived to be, uh, you know, for the, for the rich and, and wealthy. Um, so, yeah, that, that was an interesting one. Um, and... But yeah, again, some some advisors said it was a you know it was a missed opportunity to to simplify what's quite a a complex tax. Oh, I've um, got a tweet so on again, that. It's, oh, okay. Um, so Nick Miller is a pensions expert. Mm. She tweeted like a little snippet from the um right. the abolition of the lifetime allowance uh, document, mm. and it says the only exceptions are APLS DBs and PPLS DBs, which are never subject to the SLS DBC. I and saw even this. pensions experts don't know what that means. <laughs> Someone was like, "This is lines. alphabet soup." That was me. Oh. <laughs> I said that. It was you. <laughs> I saw your tweet. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, funny. <laughs> but yeah. And the last thing, the last thing for me was just um, you know, on um, the uh, confirmation that the lifetime allowance would be abolished. I think um, was touched upon earlier on. And, you know, just kind of how that's, again, how that's going to work going forward in terms of the, the new rules. Um, no yeah, detail. No, that's, that's not, no, it is scant on detail at the moment. There's there's talk of uh, sort of two, two new lifetime limits um, being created, you know, one with a lump sum allowance set at uh, 268,000, which is a quarter of the current LTA. And then um, it's secondly, a lump sum and death benefits allowance set at uh, 1,073,000, which is the, you know, the current allowance. Um, to incorporate in both tax-free lump sums um, while they're live and, and lump sums paid on death. So again, like it's uh, the details, the details scan at the moment, but it'll be interesting to see in the next couple of weeks when it all unfolds what, uh, what, what the plan is going forward. Mm, definitely. Triple lock, my favourite topic. Yeah, go. Um, so there was speculation before the autumn statement that well, actually, I'll just say what happened first. So mm-hmm. the triple lock was upheld. 
mm-hmm. um, or will be upheld, which means that um, in April next year, the state pension will rise in line with average earnings growth um, at 8.5%. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, what people were saying might happen before is that so that um, there's concern that that was sort of skewed by a large public sector or a large payment of public sector bonuses in the is it May to July, I think, was um, average earnings growth between May to July this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he had discounted public sector bonuses from the average earnings growth, then the rise would have been 7.8% instead of 8.5%. But he's decided to keep it in place. <clears throat> and I wrote a, a big feature about um, the pension triple lock-in, I think it was for the November issue. Yeah. Um, just looking at interesting because the public's perception of the state pension in general their understanding of what the state pension is for one is is not very good and what the triple lock is even worse so if the government says they're going to tinker with the triple lock at all or even mention scrapping it or replacing it with something what the public generally hears is um we're gonna put your state pension down so i feel like maybe that was a vote winner keeping triple lock in place oh you're not on the fence at all you popped off the fence um but the general industry consensus is probably sensible for now but the triple lock and just just state pension in general is going to be need to be looked at in the future um preferably by a sort of independent body via an independent review rather than all being tied up so much in politics and being sort of used as a political playing card so. Yeah, I had a conversation um, a couple weeks ago about this and what it could potentially be, whether that be a double lock. But just because there's so many ways they could move forward and they hadn't alluded to which way they would, I think they did need a lot more time than just to announce it, you know. I yeah I feel like it might have it probably would have been a mistake to have just um not taken into account public sector bonuses because part of the triple lock is to take into account bonuses so if they suddenly mm-hmm. said oh this year we're not going to take into account bonuses I think it was in September 2021 they said that for 2022 year they were going to just turn the triple lock into a double lock mm-hmm. but then so Steve Webb the former pensions minister when I spoke to him for my cover feature in November, he was saying, you know, there's only so many times you can do that on a rule like the triple lock before it sort of becomes not a rule. And then what are you mm-hmm. doing? Becomes null. Yeah. Um, but thank you guys so much for joining me today and kind of enlightening me with um, everything that you got from um, the autumn statement. I was just there watching you all furiously type while I tried to furiously keep our socials updated and at eat the pizza. same time. And it, eat pizza. The pizza uh, kept, kept us sustained, which was great. So thank you guys for joining me for this podcast. And I look forward to speaking to you in our end of month podcast. Definitely. Thanks, Kim. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Kim. Bye. 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 Bye.